Hello and welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshot.net. Special episode. We need to talk about the full inclusion model. Hello, this is Simon Lewis from Unshaw.net. You're very welcome to this special episode of If I Were the Minister for Education. Um, this week we'll be focusing on um, the full inclusion model um, after the NCSE had a special uh, research uh, conference uh, where they invited uh, the former minister uh, for education in New Brunswick in Canada over to talk about the full inclusion model. Uh, for those of you listening uh, in the future, this happened around mid-November um, of 2019 um, and it basically, I suppose what the NCSE's annual research conference did was they basically asked the question, is a fully inclusive school system right for Ireland? Now I think they wanted the answer to be yes, but what they did was they brought over a number of people including uh, someone by the name of Jody R. Carr, uh, who was the former Minister for Education of New Brunswick in Canada, to talk about this full inclusion model, where all children, basically this is how it works for all children, whatever their needs, um, attend their local school in the same classrooms as their peers. So whatever additional needs they might have, uh, there is no special classes, there's no special schools. So in this episode, I'm going to explore this total or full inclusion model. And if I were the Minister for Education, whether it's something I'd be thinking about for Ireland. Now, before the conference, Teresa Griffin, who, if you don't know, is the CEO of the NCSE, um, she said uh, the following in an article. Um, She said, We want Irish children with additional complex needs to have the best education outcomes for our schools. Children with additional needs can attend mainstream schools or special classes or special schools. But is this the best structure or are there better ways or other better ways? As well as considering international and national research, we have been looking at the Canadian province of New Brunswick and Portugal, both of which have developed fully inclusive schools. And it is to New Brunswick that we travel for this special podcast episode. Um, New Brunswick, the third least populated province in Canada with only 750,000 people, a province with connections to Ireland to, uh, that predate famine times or uh, date uh, from famine times. And this week has become the centre of the world in terms of education in Ireland, uh, where, we ta- where it became the centre of debate around the provision of special education and what is known as total inclusion. For those of you who uh, don't know, uh, New Brunswick, um, it is a small province on the east coast of Canada with less than a million people. It's known f- more for its forests and natural beauty than anything else. And it was one of the very first provinces to form the Confederation of Canada with three other, st- uh, with three other provinces back in the 1800s. It is the only province in Canada to be officially bilingual in French and English and 33% of its inhabitants claim to speak both of the two official languages of the region. That might sound a little bit familiar if you live in Ireland. Um, As an aside, 22% of Irish people claim to be fully bilingual, and that's not the only similarity or connection that New Brunswick has to Ireland. 
For example, 50% of New Brunswick's population live in a rural setting, very similarly to Ireland. However, as I said before, our connections go back to famine times when many, many Irish people fled the country and quite a number, actually up to 50% of New, New Brunswickians or New Brunswickans, um, including its former education minister, Jody Carr's people, um, his ancestors hailed from Donegal. What is it with Ministers for Education and Donegal, I hear you ask? Well, as you probably know by now, Jody Carr was one of the guest speakers at the NCSE Special Research Conference, which was exploring the total inclusion model. And Jody Carr was the Minister for Education at that time uh, that it was ratified into law in New Brunswick. Um, after, I, I must say, after three decades of um, of policy development, three decades of policy development. The NCSE appeared to be very, very attracted to this total inclusion model. And before the conference, they wrote a couple of articles on the subject, one of which there I quoted Teresa Griffin. One gem of a line though from one of the papers was, the NCSE has not to date found any substantial evidence that students with additional needs have better outcomes in special schools or classes. Now. I want to analyze this sentence because it's worth so it's worth repeating it with emphasis on the crux as far as I'm concerned. I'm I'm very interested in, in sentences in writing and what they're trying to say as I'm reading it. So I'm gonna say it again. The NCSC has not to date found any substantial evidence that students with additional needs have better outcomes in special schools or classes. So not to date found any substantial evidence. I read this in the following way. The NCSE hasn't, hasn't found evidence. And this to me suggests that they haven't looked very carefully or even at all. So, I mean, to, 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 because I have that suspicion, I decided I know what I'll do because I have the internet in front of me. I'm just gonna Google. Um, I'm just gonna use Google search for exactly what they couldn't find and see if a quick Google search could find evidence that there were better outcomes for students with additional needs in special schools. Um, because if, if I couldn't find that, fair enough. But if I could find it, then it is very likely that the NCSE must have an agenda of some sort. And what I didn't actually expect to find um, when I did this quick Google search, um, intra I mean, I found it fascinating, was the very first result in Google was a link to a document from the NCSE itself from 2014, only five years ago, where on page 19, it states, and it states, you can read this, page 19 of, an, of the NCSE 2014 paper, many children with special education needs can therefore be fully included in mainstream classes without any additional teaching or care supports. No one would disagree with that uh, in, in, uh, if you're a teacher now. I mean, anyway, carry, I'll carry on. Others may, now here, here's the important bit, others may need additional teaching or care assistance or assistive technology to support them in mainstream classes. No one's disagreeing with that. And then it goes on. Some children with greater needs may benefit from being placed in a special class in mainstream schools where there are smaller numbers of pupils in the class. Oh, really? I, I just thought they found had no evidence. I thought they had, they had no evidence of this. And worse, and further on, it says other children with complex needs may need supportive interventions provided in special schools. That, sorry, that's, that's the NCSE's own research in 2015, their own research. But 
Five years later, the NCSE has not to date found any substantial evidence that students with additional needs have better outcomes in special schools or classes. Hmm. So I guess the first question one has to ask is why they've moved from this rather sensible approach to education. And I'm hoping to find the answer to this as I go through this episode. Anyway, the second noteworthy sentence in this in this recent paper was around some sort of consultation of unnamed people. So this is the more, more recent one. And, and they basically had this consultation. Now, I don't remember this consultation, but I, I assume, I mean, I'm not denying it happened. But um, these unnamed people said they believed that all children should be educated together in the same school. They considered that there were that there were broader benefits to society from all children learning and growing up together. Now, in itself, that's absolutely true. I, I I don't think there's a there's a problem with that really. Where it's possible is the is the is the thing that's missing. Sometimes it's impossible. I mean, just to requote what uh, the NCSE said only five years before. Some children with complex needs may need supported interventions provided in special schools. It's not a criticism. It's not a bad thing. You know, some children aren't able to cope in a mainstream setting. It's not. It's. It, it, I don't see this as a. Um. As a terrible thing, um, to say that. I mean, ideally, ideally, everyone should be able to be um taught in their own school, but it uh, in their own local school. But is it possible is the question, I suppose, that needs to be asked, but we'll carry on. And I'm sure no one would disagree, as I said, with sentiments of their of this thing, that everyone should learn together and grow up together. I mean, I don't want to come across that I think it's better to send all schools with additional needs into special schools, I mean, which obviously doesn't make any sense even today, where the vast majority of children with additional needs already attend mainstream primary schools. I mean, for example, in my school, 17% of our total student population have additional needs, and they're fully included in all aspects of the school. 3% of my students have higher additional needs, so more complex additional needs, and they spend some of their day in a special class for children with autism, and they integrate into mainstream classes for as long as they're able to. And yes, there have been times where our school, the mainstream school, um, could not cope, where a child's needs were so severe that we were unable to manage with the resources that mainstream schools have. We don't have a nurse. We don't have OTs. We don't have speech and language therapists. We don't have anything like that. You know, some special schools have, you know, some of these services. And I would argue it is actually cruel to put a child who cannot cope in a mainstream setting into a mainstream setting. In any case, the next sentence in this NCSE consultation paper is, the experience of New Brunswick would support this view as a fully inclusive system is seen as a human right. Ah. So we hear the words human right. Now, when I hear the words human rights, when I hear it, when it comes to education in Ireland, do you know what I do? I laugh. I laugh. Actually, do you know what? I don't really laugh. I get extremely angry because the entire Irish primary education system is built on a complete disregard for human rights. I won't get into it too far here. Well, I probably will, but <laughs> I'm, I'm intending not to get into it too much. But I really, really, because I, I, to be honest, I really want to focus on the special education. But suffice to say, there's less than 3% of schools in Ireland that can't legally fire me because of my religious background. 97% of schools can actually legally fire me because of how I was raised by my family. So, I mean, legally. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying they would do it, but they can legally do it because I wouldn't be able to uphold their ethos. So basically, when I hear about government agencies talking about fundamental human rights, my first thoughts are there are alternative agendas, whatever they might be, and they are usually nothing to do with anybody's human rights. They're usually to do with saving money. 
So what, what I do want to, what I, uh, what I want to see really is whether the NCSE are actually interested in the full inclusion model for the right reasons or whether there's something else at play. And while I've already argued in the past that I actually don't believe the NCSE is fit for purpose, I'm not going to let that bias me in terms of this episode. I want to weigh up the evidence that's already there and I want to look at inclusive models of education in countries with similar contexts. I've decided to take a brief look um, at lots and uh, uh, at a number of things, and um, I suppose I, uh, most people spend their free time uh, doing um, things like I don't know uh, hobbies. Um, they might go out and play soccer five aside. They might watch TV. They might um, you know go and take a, a an evening course or play music. I um, use my free time uh, this week to obsess over New Brunswick and <laughs> basically um, I decided uh, that I would take a look in a number of ways at the New Brunswick education system and find out what the experts in Canada have been saying about their inclusive, their total inclusive education policy which was brought into law back in 2013 and its impact since 2013. And it's also worth noting, I, I think I mentioned very briefly there earlier on, that the NCSE also brought over the Portuguese minister to talk about their model, which is a total inclusive model. I, I just want to note that I'm actually not going to talk about Portugal in this episode for a very simple reason. I don't speak Portuguese and I wouldn't actually be able to find information in English about the pros and cons or be able to communicate with Portuguese uh, teachers or Portuguese principals um, effectively or quickly um, because I really wanted to get this episode out while the topic was live and hot, let's say. Um, but as you'll see, um, when it comes to uh, finding information in English um, and particularly about New Brunswick, you'll see it's pretty easy to find um, anything I wanted to find out more or less about New Brunswick. Um, the conference that was actually held today seemed to lean very, very heavily, just before I start this, that the NCSE are going to recommend to the Department of Education they want to follow the New Brunswick and Portuguese model of full inclusion. And in fact, the Minister for Education, uh, Joe McHugh, even sent one of his men along to say that he was supportive of this recommendation. I mean, as if they haven't spoken before. My understanding as well is that Teresa Griffin has already indicated that she will not be uh, recommending extra resources to be given to schools in order to achieve this full uh, inclusion model, that we're going to have to use it from the pot that we already have, which isn't enough, um, as, we, as, uh, as we all know. So I decided the best thing to do would be two things. Firstly, I thought it would be a good idea to compare the New Brunswick education system to the Irish education system um, in terms of data. I also thought it might be a good idea to find articles about what experts in Canada think about the New Brunswick model. And I, I suppose when I say experts, I also include practitioners in that. Um, and thankfully, as I said, data is pretty easy to come by these days if you know where to look for it. And where better to find uh, data on education systems than from government websites from their from the for, I mean they're going to be um, I, I don't know about the most accurate but they're certainly the the most reliable data and um, so I want to find out really is New Brunswick the utopia that the conference presenters seem to believe it is and uh, that's what we're going to find out uh, right now 
So I checked out the sum, this uh, lovely document. Uh, it, it's good to know in Ireland uh, that in, uh, Ireland isn't the only country that have very long, boring, uh, named papers. Uh, I mean, I, I know that we often give them one, um, these uh, funky one-word Irish names like Kumasu. Uh, but um, anyway, in English, I checked out the summary statistics of the school year 2018 to 2019 uh, which was prepared by the Policy and Planning Division of the Department of Education Early Childhood Development in March 2019. Anyway, it is a delightful array of tables and statistics which are official data from the government. And as teachers in Ireland will know, government statistics around things like class size are rarely a reflection of accuracy um, or reality. But uh, the only thing to, it was the only fair way to compare the data was with official Irish government data, uh, which, by the way, um, for the record, insists we actually have Irish. Uh, we have average class sizes of fifteen point three pupils. I wonder. I wonder which classes have fifteen point three pupils. Anyway, just one thing to note before I get into the data is the data in New Brunswick is from the full K twelve network, so kindergarten to year twelve, uh, which includes basically that includes second level. Now it seems that funding to primary and second level. Um, in New Brunswick is the same or very similar from K to 12 uh, level in uh, there whereas in Ireland for whatever reason and we've gone in this before um, once you hit second level class sizes and everything else um, are better um, and better funded and smaller um, as in class sizes are smaller and funding is higher um, now while I could complain about that for a full episode I won't because I already have in a few in an earlier episode so um, you, let's just move on from that so I'm just using primary level data from Ireland and the entire K-12 data from New, New Brunswick which is basically like for like data anyway before I recorded this podcast I, I've, I've had an article on Shaw.net uh, with my initial reactions on the subject and somebody pointed out this possible discrepancy so I actually went and checked it out and it actually does appear that I'm still good um, I'm on good ground. In fact, um, you know, looking at the data, it appears that New Brunswick, if anything, actually gives better funding, um, slightly better funding and resources to primary level than secondary uh, level, which is interesting. But basically, in the bigger picture, it's it's negligible, really, unlike Ireland. Anyway, you get the story. I, I'm good with the data I've used. It's, it, it's reliable. So let's first get some context. We'll look at the population of New Brunswick and other little tidbits so we can kind of get get a bit of a context as I said and um, the first thing we need to know is um, we have just over five times the number of pupils attending primary schools in Ireland and um, so the entire so and the entire school population in the whole of New Brunswick is about is 97,895 at the last count just under 100,000 and in Irish primary schools it's 509,000, so nearly 510,000 uh, pupils. Now, the structure of how these schools is broken up is really, really important when we talk about full inclusion. Full inclusion means that every school needs to have a minimum level of supports for inclusion in every single school. That's every school needs to have a minimum level of supports to allow for full inclusion. That means things like access to an OT, um, access to a social worker, at least one special needs assistant and so on it needs to have at least one of everything it also means having an adequate number of teachers and if you have a lot of schools per capita this becomes extremely expensive to do now remembering again that 50% of new Br- new brunswickans i think that's what you call them uh, live in rural settings it must be a challenge for them because it's a challenge for us. We have a lot of rural schools. 50% of our country live rurally. So 
how do you actually have an optimal number of schools to ensure the required amount of resourcing? And it's basically, it's obviously, as I said, much more expensive to fund this model when you have a lot of schools. And this is where we begin our first problem, okay? In New Brunswick, only 12% of schools have less than 100 pupils in them, despite the rural population. In Ireland, what is it? It's 38% in the same situation. So, you know, over three times the number of very small schools. And we have tons of them. And before I go on, because it, I know what this is sounding like, I'm not saying that as a criticism. What I'm saying is, it is what it is. And if we're going to try and have a full inclusion situation in Ireland, we have to take that into account. We have three times the number of very small schools than New Brunswick. And they also, they have to be supported with full inclusion. Let's keep going, though. New Brunswick only has 296 schools in total. We have 3,305. And how many pupils are in these schools? There's an average of 331 pupils per school in New Brunswick and only 154 in Ireland. And where am I going with this? I'm not bashing small schools. And maybe people might say I'm, I protest too much, but I'm not. I'm just saying this is what it is. What I'm saying is that we have, um, we have our small schools, and the rights and wrongs of that isn't important for the purpose of this discussion. But the consequence of having so many smaller schools means that resources have to get spread more thinly. So ultimately, having 154 pupils per school on average in Ireland against 331 pupils per school in um, in New Brunswick means that every if every school in Ireland was to get the same basic resources of a New Brunswick school, it immediately needs double the financial investment per capita from what they are doing. So even if we were to copy, copy their model absolutely 100%, it would cost us double per capita, which is a huge amount of money. And that's, that's just how it is. You know, ultimately, I can't see our government pumping in more than the same level of money into our system than New Brunswick. So by that, we'll only get a, at a maximum, get half the impact, which is very worrying as well. It's not a criticism again, as I said, it just is the way it is. But there's more. It's worth noting that in New Brunswick, pupils all go to their nearest school from their house. They have catchment areas. You just go to, your school, to the school that's nearest to you. That isn't the case in Ireland, as we all know. No matter where you live in Ireland, you can go to any school you want. Any school you want, as long as they let you in, basically. So, for example, I send my child to a school that isn't his nearest school. I'm, I am very guilty of that fact. I don't send my child to his nearest school. Um, there's actually two schools that are nearer to my house. But why, why do I do this? Okay. Well, the reason, in my case, is because the other two schools have a religious ethos that goes against my conscience. And I would feel very uncomfortable knowing that every day he was there, he'd be subjected to lessons that go against my beliefs about equality in almost all of its definitions. And the fact that I know opting out of any of it isn't possible. And the knowledge that almost nobody in the school community actually really cares or sees that much about the relationship between church and state. I, become a, I, I, be, I automatically become an outcast and my son by proxy um, becomes that, that outcast because most people don't care. But similarly, don't forget about me. Similarly, there's parents that would never send their kid to my school because they do believe that schools should be tied in with a religious flavour. They like the communion. They like the confirmation. They like the bouncy castle. They like all that. Or another parent might want their kid taught through the medium of Irish. 
for example, and wouldn't don't want their kid taught through the medium of English. Um, they want it through the medium of Irish. And as we all know, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, free school choice doesn't work. It doesn't. What it does is it creates a system that is over complex with too many schools it segregates children from each other and it creates perceived hierarchies of good schools and not so good schools and it also is an unachievable model because the vast majority of people in actual fact despite being offered free choice don't have a choice because most people just don't have a choice if you if, uh, i i wouldn't consider me having a choice i have no choice to go to the two nearest schools because of what they do so i i i I would argue that, uh, and I've argued it in, in a full podcast episode, so I'm not going to go into it there, but that's the summary. But the vast majority of people, as I said, the vast majority of people don't get a choice. And this is no more um, relevant, it is, uh, it is, sorry, no more relevant, it is, is no more so relevant, especially for children with additional needs. And what happens then is that children with additional needs tend not to go to certain types of schools. And we know this. We all know this. They tend not to go. And I'm not going to name and shame. Because, you know, what's the point of that? And they don't go to certain types of schools. And then all of a sudden we have some schools with high rates of children with additional needs. And some schools with almost no cases of children with additional needs. And we get this imbalance, or should I, should I say actually a further imbalance, to what we already have. So that's problematic. However, there's more. That aside... What about class sizes and pupil-teacher ratios and all that stuff um, in New Brunswick versus Ireland? Well, let's look. Let's check the scores out. Well, let's, in true football commentary style, in the uh, average pupil-teacher ratio, league, New Brunswick, 12.7, Ireland, 15.3. And in the average class size league, New Brunswick, 20.9, Ireland, 24.5. Well, if it was football, Ireland would be winning, but instead the lowest score wins um, in, our, in this game and New Brunswick kick our asses. Despite the fact that both governments are probably doing their best as well to get these figures as low as possible on paper, it's pretty easy to see that New Brunswick have a huge advantage over Ireland. At least three and a half children fewer per class on average and a much smaller pupil-teacher ratio. However, let's exasperate this even further if I haven't done enough. Let's look at how many teachers a school has depending on the school's size. Okay, I got this data from basically looking through a complete list of schools in New Brunswick. There's only, two, there's only about 300 of them and I found you know the sizes I was looking for I suppose and basically comparing it to the staff allocation table from the Department of Education in Ireland. So here's a reasonably long list but you'll quickly see how we compare it again um, uh, in 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 um, terms of teacher allocation and pupils, and just to note, I've um, I've added in I've added in set teachers into Ireland's allocation there. By the way, just uh, in case people are wondering about the point fives and things like that, so uh, it, it will do it by size of school. So in a twenty-five pupil school, New Brunswick has three and a half teachers. Ireland has two and a half. Fifty pupil school, New Brunswick has six teachers. Ireland still has two point five teachers. In a 75 pupil school, 70 to seven teachers in New Brunswick, three and a half in Ireland. Let's go to the hundreds. 100 pupil school, eight versus five. 200, 16 versus nine and a half. In a 300 pupil school, 22 versus 14 and a half. 400 pupil school, 
30 against 19.2 and in a 500 pupil school a big school uh, in Ireland anyway 35 teachers to 24 now I mean I don't know I don't know what you can do with this and as I said I've included the average SET allocation of one set teacher for every five mainstream class teachers to make things fair but even with that extra addition you can see the data speaks for itself again especially in small schools look at the 50 pupil school six teachers as opposed to 2.5 teachers it's amazing however class size alone isn't the full story when it comes to inclusion as we know because when it comes to more complicated cases or more complex cases, many children require SNA support or SNA help. I don't know what New Brunswickans call SNAs. So how do, but how do we compare to our friends over there on the east coast of Canada? Well, how many pupils on average per special needs assistant in New Brunswick as opposed to how many special needs assistants, sorry, how many pupils per SNA on average in Ireland? Well, for every 34 0.4 pupils there are in New Brunswick there is an SNA in Ireland you've guessed it 55.1 it's exceptionally lower the figures speak for themselves almost twice the number of SNAs in New Brunswick than Ireland per capita Cal surprise you might think so what else did I find in my perusal of this New Brunswick model well let's look at the other supports that are available to them in New Brunswick they have a number of people called therapists working directly in schools 78.4 to be exact within the 296 schools and in Ireland it is zero we don't have any therapists working directly in schools outside of this pilot scheme I believe that's going on in Kildare and uh, Wicklow but I believe they aren't even actually working directly with the schools particularly they give advice to SNAs to provide the services Anyway, we'll move on. How many social workers work directly in schools in New Brunswick? 61. In Ireland, how many? Zero. Yep. They are of nothing. To, they, are, they do not work directly with schools. How many behaviour specialist teachers are there in New Brunswick? 26 of them. In Ireland, you've guessed? No, you haven't. It's nine. We have EBD classes and there are nine teachers. Now, I don't know how specialised they are, but they're certainly um, hired as EBD teachers. Um, oh, and um, two of them are in Kerry. Anyway, in fact, the only statistic we actually beat New Brunswick on is the number of psychologists per capita working in our schools. And given that New Brunswick are no longer in offering diagnoses to people, one might argue they need less support in this area, but maybe that's where I'm stretching things and being a little bit unfair. I suppose I've been in totally uh, factual up until now, uh, so maybe that might be a bit unfair. I am making conjectures there, let's say. But you know I, I'm allowed one aren't I so anyway that's the data so what do the folks in Canada really think about this inclusion project I, I, I wonder um, what they really think about it first I guess if you want to sell something though the best person to send is the person who came up with the idea and that's exactly what the NCSE did last week um, and I spoke to that man Jody Carr online after um, after his uh, talk um, and he was a very gracious man I have to be give credit where it's due um, he basically said that his model or the model that he, he introduced was simply responding to human rights and for all its successes and failures he mentioned the famous words really I suppose no not I'm not quoting him directly it is what it is he's simply telling and he basically said I'm simply telling my province's experiences their story and that's it that's what it is and in fairness 
he does seem like a decent chap i'll give him that he wasn't saying he was promoting it he wasn't saying it was great it just was and is what it is so what is the real story with this inclusive model what's actually happening in new brunswick since this model of inclusion was brought in now I'm no academic, as, uh, as some of you may know, um, but I, and I really wanted to get as much information as I possibly could as quickly as possible in order to be able to get an article out in less than 24 hours after the conference. And then, um, I suppose since then, um, uh, the week leading up to this podcast. So I basically Googled the following phrase to see what would come up. And, you know, I mean, I know people might scoff at Google, but... Um, I, I don't know, you know, it comes up with great results. Um, and the, the thing I Googled was, what do teachers in New Brunswick think about total inclusion model? That's exactly what I wrote in. And I put a question mark at the end of it. And to be honest, I thought I got a, a large number of results um, from my, from, on, my, on Google. But it really, it was only the first five I got uh, that basically that were relevant before it started diversifying into more relevant sides and it was interesting just to see those first five um results um two of them were in favor of the model and three of them were against the model which might be interesting but more interesting was the articles that were in favor of the model were from canadian government websites the three articles that spoke against the model were not government websites and as i delve deeper into these articles um, i found more articles linked to them and headlines jumped out at me and I'm going to read the headlines or um, I'm going to paraphrase some of the uh, headlines or sub sub headlines that jumped out at me. Here's the first one. Grade 2 literacy results down 12% since 2010. Inclusive classrooms need more resources to curb low test scores. 3. Striving for the full inclusion of all students in publicly funded school system is a most worthy goal, but it remains an illusion for far too many students in New Brunswick schools. Next one. It is becoming clearer that the New Brunswick model is broken and badly needs to be re-engineered to better serve those with severe challenges and complex needs. Next one. A researcher, um, who's just Paul Bennett was his name, a researcher, who sounded the alarm about New Brunswick's inclusion model five years ago, says the problems are getting worse. And finally, teachers are being forced to wear protective clothing made of Kevlar to protect them from violent situations in their classroom. Now, you might accuse me of bias at this point, or maybe before this point. I'm just reading what I found. I'm not making any of this stuff up, and I'm not really, I'm not actually ignoring other headlines really i mean i have looked um for positive headlines in, in in the media that weren't anything to do with the government um and i just think it's well worth looking through a lot of these articles i mean a lot of them have been shared on social media throughout the week uh, which is very nice of people to do um it'd be nicer if you credited me for finding them in the first place but i, I, I but given the benefit of the doubt that i basically just put in the search in google i'm sure they probably did the same thing anyway that aside um i think it's well worth looking at those articles particularly the third one there um, about um it's an academic paper um, it's about 20 odd pages long and, and and a little bit academic really to be honest with you so i'm not going to bore you with it but basically all of the articles say exactly the same thing as idealistic and as worthy as full inclusion may sound it simply doesn't work for children with more complex needs I mean, every single article said that. 
I also, while I was at it this week, decided to try and speak to every principal in New Brunswick. So I sent all 137 principals who work in the in, in between the K6-ish, um, K, K6 kind of category. Um, I sent every single one of them an email asking them a few questions. And the main one was to offer Irish schools some advice about what we should do around full inclusion. And a number of them came back to me with, uh, with, with answers. And what was most interesting to me, I guess, was the answers were unanimous, absolutely 100% unanimous. Well, that is unanimous, 100%. Basically, it's a nice idea, but it needs loads and loads more resourcing in order for children to be able to achieve their potential. Effectively, what all the articles were saying, it's worthy cause, but it needs a huge amount more resourcing. Ultimately, the New Brunswick model seems to have two big problems. It can't be replicated in Ireland without changing the very fabric and structure of our system. We have to lose school choice at the very least, and we'd have to have much fewer schools to make it in any way affordable. However, most importantly, it appears that the adage that of all that glitters is not necessarily gold rings very true when it comes to whether it actually works at all in New Brunswick. And to be perfectly frank, from the data I've seen and from the articles I've read and from what the principals have said to me, it doesn't work well enough. It's worthy, idealistically and ideally, it's worthy, but it's not working. I'm also extremely wary of the reasons that the NCSE are using to push to try and get this model over the line in Ireland. The two reasons they've mainly mentioned are the following. Special education needs provision is too expensive in Ireland. It's already 18% of the total education budget. And number two, we are breaking UN conventions by having a segregated education system for pupils with additional needs. Now, I'll talk about both of them. The first reason is probably the honest one, to be honest with you. It's probably honest. It, it, it is expensive. Maybe it's too expensive. But special education needs is expensive. It's, it's very expensive. However, it's made more expensive than it needs to be by the fact of our highly complex system of structure in schools. To unravel it, it's akin to, it's akin to unraveling Christmas decorations, as I've mentioned before. And every time you think you've solved one little problem with the system, you find another knot somewhere else. And this is purely to do with the fact that we've so many schools with too many patrons and far too much choice. Like things like special education needs provision highlight the problems of our system. For example, our school bus service costs over 100 million euro a year. It's madness, and, but it's completely unnecessary. For example, 10 separate school buses serve my school alone. 10. And it makes no sense. It absolutely makes no sense that this is the case. And it's just one aspect of cost caused by the structures in education. And there's many more uh, ridiculous spends because of the fact that we have too many schools and too much school choice and all the rest of it. The second reason there where it says we are breaking UN conventions by having a segregated education system for pupils with additional We have a segregated education system already along religious lines. It, 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 this, this thing about human rights breaches, it's weak. It, it, it's weak at the very best. Our entire education system flies in the face of UN conventions on human rights anyway because it's 97% denominational. And we all don't really care about that. I'm the only one who seems to care. Well, I'm not the only one that seems to care about it. But I, I, I find it very hard to find anybody in my, working in education that finds this, finds this system 
distasteful at best but it's a, a, a crime at worst i suppose so using this as the big reason to go to for a full inclusion model just sounds hollow to me as a reason because generally anyone involved in policy um when it comes to and in government in ireland um seems to not care very much about um human rights when it when it doesn't when it doesn't suit them so it obviously suits them in this case to be interested in human rights here but ultimately what i'm looking at now is it's stakeholders now they need to examine this new brunswick model themselves um i'm a guy with a microphone okay i'm i'm and i'm and google that's what i've i've had at my disposal um and basically they need to look at this new brunswick model very carefully and make sure they don't fall into any traps as i said i'm only one person you know i think i've unearthed quite a bit to be worried about um in in a very short space of time um but we need to be we need to be as we need our stakeholders to be quick um about this i i i'm not hearing i'm not hearing enough um i've been interested in the responses that have followed since the article um I, like there was very little before i wrote the article but there has been a few since and, and most of them to be honest were fairly timid more than timid but there was one that jumped out at me and uh it was the ippn's reaction which um i thought was uh which i thought was interesting i was actually glad to see they shared the concerns that i have um, and most of their members, I, I should suggest. But they also have done some research, um, which is good, um, because they have the resources to do that, suggesting somewhat, and with a bit of a cheeky grin, I'd imagine. I don't know, I'm only uh, conjecturing here, but I liked, I liked what they said, the, the, the statement, we don't, of, we don't often like to follow anything about the UK model of education. A bit cheeky. But anyway, their provision for children with additional needs seems to have some merit. Um, I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, but they did say they don't like to follow. They don't. They tend not to follow what we do in the UK, which is quite funny. Um, anyway, I'll be interested in hearing more about it actually, because it was a good. It was a good. It looked like a good press release, and I'd like to see that expanded a bit more. Anyway, the media reaction was a mis- Was 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 a bit more of a mixed bag. Uh, some newspapers used it as an opportunity to criticise schools or bash teachers. I mean, that that's where to be honest we're very well used to that and others were um, using it as an opportunity to actually examine the pros and cons of the system and come to some sensible conclusions uh, i want to put a particular um i suppose the irish examiner i thought did a particularly good job of this to be fair to them um the reaction on social media um because i mean that that counts i think and um, the reaction on social media was unsurprisingly less measured of course which is also natural and rightly so in many cases and uh, just to, i mean some of them were basically saying um, there, were, there was everything from calls from representative bodies to stand up and fight against this model. I mean, when I say calls, I mean cries, um, shouts. Um, and some people even uh, took it upon themselves to expose names of people uh, from our representative bodies who also sit on the various boards of the NCSE, which, you know, I mean, I, I can see why they would do that. I, 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 it's not my style, uh, but I think um, it was interesting to read them um, because it does it does really show um, that we do live in a little tangled web uh, there. Um, I I don't know. It was it was interesting, but what I didn't see was a single positive comment on social media about the new inclusive uh, full inclusion model. Not one. And I really, really looked. I looked hard for this. I didn't even see positive ones from parents because sometimes they'll pop in with, uh, with, with alternative views. And I didn't really even see any from the media, really. Nowhere. Nothing. Not once. Well, that's except for the governments, of course, and the NCSE. But doesn't that sound 
particularly familiar. I um, hope uh, that's pretty much for me uh, this week with this special episode on the uh, full inclusion model that we're uh, looking at in New Br- from New Brunswick and the NCSE are recommending to the government. I, I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode and be sure to tune in again every Wednesday morning just in time for your midweek stump. It's almost sure to make your blood boil. Um, this episode or this podcast, sorry, can be found everywhere on uh, iTunes, Spotify and any other podcasting app that you have. If you've never listened before, please feel free to look back at some of our episodes. This will be maybe the 40th uh, podcast uh, episode that I've done in the last um, six to eight months. Um, and I really um, do appreciate uh, new listeners and uh, coming on and subscribing uh, to the podcast. Um, if you do subscribe to the podcast, um, it's, it's, it's uh, the advantage of that really is that every new episode comes directly into your podcasting app whatever that might be immediately after we release it um, I also really appreciate any comments feedback and reviews um, because that again helps other people to find it more easy there aren't too many education podcasts in Ireland um, focusing on Irish issues um, I'm not saying mine is um, one that is, uh, is is the best or anything like that but it's certainly just another, another viewpoint let's say an independent viewpoint about uh, my take on education and uh, I like it more as um, a conversation starter rather than uh, saying what I say is absolutely um, undeniably true I know that most people uh, don't agree with a lot of what I say um, so as I said I please add your comments um, any feedback is really really useful um, I suppose this episode I, I, at the end of it, every podcast I give a small um, summary of what I found uh, from it um, from actually recording it because at the end of the day for me um, I, I learn a lot when I speak it out on the, in, in front of this microphone in my kitchen um, and it cements some of the things I've said um, and maybe sort of changes my mind sometimes I start a podcast and end uh, with, a, with a slightly different view but in this case that it's really been a cementing of my view I think Ireland actually does, already does a good job of inclusion in terms of special education needs. We have a good model and it was the model that I mentioned earlier on, uh, quoting from a 2015 paper from uh, the NCSE where most children with additional needs are in mainstream education with no supports, some need SNA access, some require further supports from a special class within a mainstream school and some children do require specialised schools and the problem with that system is it's not funded properly um, it's funded foolishly um, in some cases um, and the funding that is given to it could be spent more wisely I suppose is what I'm trying to say and that's the thing I think we should be fixing rather than actually changing an, an actually a very good a sort of continue, continuum of support for children with additional needs rather than lumping every child no matter what their need is into a, into a situation that might not suit their learning why not use our system and f- then put in place the resources and the funding and the supports that actually will help the children um, they're my final thoughts I hope um, as I said you enjoyed that um, and I will leave you uh, now and uh, hope you
to join me again uh, over the coming weeks uh, as I delve further into other issues in education. And um, that is about it. Thanks for listening and talk to you again next week. Bye bye.